0: Thank you, Bill. Father, I pray this morning that the words of my mouth and the thoughts of each of our hearts might be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Suppose you lost everything. Everything that you thought and believed about religion is stripped away in one horrific event. Suppose all the answers that we thought we had to all the questions we thought people want answered seem to be hollow and empty answers. Suppose that your friend is gone, killed by forces that to us are incomprehensible. And suppose that in the midst of this loss and tragedy, this relentless why question, in all of that? Suppose you see God again in the ordinary moments of life. Isn't it so true that tragedy is everywhere? If you attend a mosque, you can get killed. You go to a temple, you can get killed. You go to a synagogue, you can get killed. You go to a church, you can get killed. There's tragedy everywhere. Not just in worship. Babies are aborted all over the place. make it personal for a moment, you yeah? you trust God, yet your life at times goes, Yeah, the, the expression is, goes pear-shaped. Life happens. Life happens to each and every one of us. In this Bible passage that Bill read for us this morning, everything the disciples thought they knew about God and about themselves had been stripped away from them first when they all betrayed Jesus by forsaking him, and then at Golgotha as they watched him being killed. And even though the disciples had seen the resurrected Jesus, they're still reeling from the things that they witnessed over these last days. And now a couple of weeks later, Peter, he's tired, he's confused, he's frustrated, he's bewildered by life, he goes back to fishing. He goes back to what he knows, back to the last thing that he actually felt comfortable with. Back to doing something familiar. As if he was trying to get get in touch with his life before all the horror and the uncertainty of the crucifixion of Jesus had happened. And other disciples, they follow Jesus, they follow Peter's lead. They go back to the boat casting nets. I can imagine it, you know, they're in their boat again, swearing like sailors, carrying on like fishermen acting like men, sweating, hungry, tired, angry, working hard to stave off the grief and the confusion that that overtakes their little minds without warning. And so they fish. But it was a futile futile exercise. Fishing had lost its meaning for them. They couldn't go back to life as it was before and they couldn't go forward into life as it was going to be. They were trapped in the in-between space between what had been and the broken promise of what seemed that was going to come and they were all alone yeah I know they were together but they were without Jesus at that time and on the shore a solitary figure calls out friends haven't you caught any fish and someone yells back no I can imagine it been there (laughs) then throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some so they throw the net over the right side of the boat and no sooner does it hit the water, that net is filled with fish. A lot of fish. 153 fish, says John. Eyewitness. John senses something strangely wonderful. and He says to Peter, it's the Lord. Now always impetuous, Peter pulls on his tunic, he jumps into the water and he makes his way to Jesus. And the others bring the boat to shore. And as they are going, Jesus says, bring some of the fish you've just caught. Peter jumps back into the boat again. He drags the net to shore. And here John gives this amazing detail. But even with so many fish, the net was not torn. The net held, even under a tremendous load of fish. I want you to remember that for the moment. Remember this fact. The net held together. It wasn't torn. It held up under that load. And on the shore, Jesus has breakfast ready. And as they're eating this post-Passover meal, Jesus turns to Peter and the conversation goes a bit like this. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Feed my lambs. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Take care of my sheep. Simon, son of John do you love me? Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep. I was meditating on that and I, as I was thinking about the passage of Scripture, it sank in. Because at dawn, whilst breakfast was cooking, the roosters crowing in the background in someone's farm, And Jesus gives Peter the opportunity to declare his love for Christ three times. And the disciples sitting around there, they must have looked at each other with disbelief and even with tears because Jesus has given Peter and by extension them also the opportunity to make right his wrong, to affirm his affection and disavow his denial of Jesus. None of those disciples are lost. Except, of course, we know of Judas. And it'd been prophesied that he would be lost. So I want to look at my second point this morning, which is the power of the presence of Jesus. Because at breakfast, this, this breakfast on the beach with Jesus, it changes everything. Jesus' presence with his disciples, it becomes an object lesson for each one of us with regard to the power of God, the power of forgiveness and the incredible power of hope. You see, systematic theology, I can teach that to you. Systematic theology doesn't offer you hope. Jesus offers you hope. The doctrines of grace and forgiveness, they don't make things right. Jesus makes things right. The presence of Jesus in the midst of the ongoing tragedies and difficulties of life changes everything. And John puts the detail there about the nets not breaking there for a reason. So where you ask God is, where are you? Where are you, God, in the tragedies of life? In life in general? Or in my life, your life? There are those who trot out that ancient question. If God is all-powerful and God is all-good, then why doesn't He prevent the carnage of life? It's a question we ask, isn't it? It's a real question. It's a valid question. I think actually the question tells us more about our own immature understanding of God and His creation than it does about anything else. Because we really need to admit, if we're honest... I can come up with a philosophical answer for you. I can do that. But if we're honest, we really need to admit that we don't know enough about God to pose that question and we don't know enough about the forces of darkness to form a really effective answer that brings the the, the healing that you want for each of your lives. There's a professor of theology who, who cautions us against easy explanations of the problems of evil. Listen to what he writes is professor phillips she says such writing should be done in fear fear that in our philosophizing we will betray the evils people have suffered and in that way sin against them betrayal occurs every time explanations and justifications of evil are offered which are simplistic insensitive incredible or obscene we have a valid question where is god But the answer we give, we really need to be careful in giving that answer. So today, I don't want to cheapen the loss of life that happens around about us, that we see all the time on the news, with any kind of easy answers. But there are some things that we need to know in the midst of our grief. First thing we need to know. When we see tragedy occurring around about us, understand this is not God's will. I don't believe it. In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus taught us to pray, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Do these tragedies happen in heaven? No, they don't. This is not God's will. God's will is not always done on earth, and the tragedies of life remind us of that. Secondly, the tragedy is not a wake-up call. So often people say something like that. And nor did it happen so we can learn something. These are easy answers and they are sin against people who suffer tragedy and difficulty and pain and suffering in their lives. So let's move on to my third point. The question we really not, we need to ask is not why is this happening. The question we need to ask is why does this not happen more often than it does? That's the question we need to ask. Why do we as human beings not abuse and violate and kill each other more than we do? Why don't we? There's sin in every heart, isn't there? The mystery is not why is there evil. The mystery is why is there any good at all in this world? Because where the good is in this world, that is where God is. God is in the conscience of most people who respect others and value their fellow human beings as God's children. God is in the hearts of people who seek to make this world a better place by their own study and contributions. God is in the heroism of people who act without regard to their own life to save, uh, save the lives of others. God is in the bravery of volunteers. God is in the courage of the policemen and the emergency personnel who run towards the sound of a dangerous situation so that other people can run away. God is in the action of those who want to do something and state their unity with the grieving. God is in the hugs and the tears and the expressions of grief and sympathy that have followed after many tragedies we see around us in the world. God is present in each act of love and thoughtfulness and kindness. But I want to move on to the fourth point. God is moved by tragedy. Yes, He is. The evidence we have of how God acts towards our suffering in this world is found in the example of Jesus. If you want to know how God reacts to something, you look at Jesus. He's the exact representation of the being of God. When Jesus saw tragedy, you read about it in the Gospels, sickness, blindness, lameness, the darkness of demon possession, hopelessness, despair, hunger, and grief... Jesus moved again and again to end that suffering and to relieve the pain of those whose lives he was encountering. Jesus wept over Jerusalem when it wouldn't respond to God's love. He cried in grief when his friend Lazarus died. And that's amazing that Jesus wept at that time because Jesus knew that in a few moments he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. Yet he wept at that time. Jesus in his own suffering on the cross, he saw his mother's pain and he said, John, would you care for her today? She's your mum." Jesus is moved by our grief, our fear, our pain, our loss, our suffering because he too has suffered. And he weeps when we weep. But mostly, Jesus is present among us as he was on the beach on that morning long ago. He's challenging, he's encouraging us, he's guiding us, he's providing for us. He's showing us that the net will hold. It's really important. There's a Jewish midrash. The midrash is a kind of an Old Testament commentary from the Jews. And it tells this story. Listen to it. When the Holy One, blessed be his name, comes to liberate the children of Israel from their exile, they will say to him, Master of the universe, it is you who dispersed us among the nations, driving us from our abode, and now it is you who bring us back. Why is that? And the Holy One, blessed be his name, will reply with this parable. One day a king drove his wife from his palace, and the next day he brought her back the queen astonished asked him why did you send me away yesterday only to bring me back today know this replied the king that I followed you out of the palace for I could not live in it alone so the holy one blessed be his name tells the children of Israel having seen you leave my abode I left it too that I might return with you that's powerful God accompanies his children into exile, even the exile of grief and sorrow, which each of us experience at some time. And he stays with us there
1: until that time when he can return from
0: that exile with us. In a moment, we're going to gather around the Lord's table and we will find hope in the unity of God's people and in the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, For at the table, God is present. He is present with His people. Communion is the memorial of hope, the memorial of pain, the memorial of life. And it is also for us the presence of Christ with us. Where is God in tragedy and pain and difficulty? Where He's always been. Among His people. With us present in his creation, moved by our tragedy, making our nets strong enough to bear the load. Eli Weissel, he was a Holocaust survivor, an author, a Nobel uh, Peace Prize laureate. He tells this story from his Jewish heritage. When God sees the suffering of his children scattered among the nations, he sheds two tears in the ocean. When they fall, they make a noise so loud it's heard around the world. And Weissel goes on to say, It's a story I enjoy reading. And I tell myself, perhaps God shed more than two tears during his people's recent tragedy. God cares. God knows. God weeps with us. All I can say to you today is that God knows you. He knows your pain. And he loves you.